When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to My Favorite Cub, a brand new podcast on the House of L Podcast Network. I'm your host, stand-up comedian and diehard Cubs fan, Joe Kilgallen. On this podcast, we interview comedians, professional wrestlers, actors, who's ever a diehard Cubs fan about who their favorite Cub was when they were growing up, or maybe even as an adult. It doesn't have to be just to our youth. That's the beautiful thing about being a sports fan is your favorites change constantly. I've got a great guest here for episode two of My Favorite Cub, good friend of mine, hilarious stand-up comedian. He's been on Comedy Central. He's been on the Eric Andre show. You've probably seen him in like a dozen national commercials. One of my favorite people to talk baseball with. Let's welcome to the podcast, the one, the only, Mike Bridenstine. How are you there, Brido? Hi, Joe. Thank you for having me. Guest two after Cabana. Feeling honored. Pretty good, right? Yeah, we yeah. had Cole Cabana for the first episode, and he picked Ryan Sandberg. And now before we get to yours... Yes. I do have a couple background questions I want to get. I think this is important to establish your connection to the Chicago Cubs because you're an L.A. resident now, but yes. you grew up in a very popular part of the country that loves the Cubs. So let me just ask you this. How did you, Mike Bridenstein, become a fan of the Chicago Cubs? I lived in eastern Iowa. About It's about 50-50 Cubs Cardinals. My grandfather was a huge Cubs fan, and the Cubs were on WGN every day in the summer and so in 1987 my dad uh, saw that i was obsessed with hulk hogan and professional wrestling and i don't know if he thought that was weird or what and he said what do you think about baseball and i was like i like baseball and he's like he got me some cards and he got me the set of 87 tops baseball cards and i was kind of bummed because this guy that was kind of lighting it up for the cubs that year was not a Cub in the 87 top set. He was an Expo. And that player was the player who would go on to win the MVP for the last place Cubs and hit 49 home runs and lead the league in RBI, signed a blank check in the offseason, got beamed in the face by Eric Shaw, and then chased him into the dugout. I'm talking about the Hawk, Andre Dawson. Yes. Who I will tell the listeners is also my favorite Cub of all time. I have different favorite Cubs based on different eras, but he was the first Cubs player where I was like, that's the guy. That's the dude. That's the guy. Look, yeah. He had the skinny legs, small waist, <laughs> and then he looked like a hawk. That's why he got the nickname the hawk. And he was I a should, big I should shot. adjust my cameras to let you know that I have an Andre Dawson poster directly behind me. That's amazing. I've got one too. You know what? I'm going to show, you know, we'll have to clip this, but listeners, uh, Brian Stein has one of the best Andre Dawson posters. It says Hawk. He's standing in front of the Wrigley Field marquee, and there's an actual Hawk on the bat that he's holding along his shoulder. Those big Dawson shoulders, good old number eight. And I've got this classic poster here. I love Andre that Dawson. one. Isn't it a great one? Andre Dawson, yeah. Michael Jordan, and Walter Payton together, all wearing tuxedos. And it's uh, from the Chicago Times. It says class for all seasons. When I was young, we would go really little. I remember being like five, six years old. We went to a restaurant called Hackney's in the suburbs, I think in Glenview. 
and they had this poster right when you walked in and my whole life I wanted this poster. And then about a year ago, I just was like, I don't care what it costs. I'm going to get it. I, th- I bought great. the poster for like 60 bucks on eBay. And then I just bought a cheap frame for, I need a better frame for it, to be honest. You know what? I remember you saying, should I buy this? And I was like, absolutely. My neighbors across the street had that poster of the tuxedos. I remember, and I couldn't find it my whole life. So yeah, you, if you can find that thing, you grab it. It took me a while to find it too. So, and once you find a treasure like that, you just gotta, you, you just, you know, you say to yourself, I know it's ridiculous to spend this much money on a poster, but life is short and it's going to bring me joy and make me happy. So let's do it. Marie Kondo, baby. Does it bring you joy? Oh, she Keep. was right about that. Yeah. So your grandfather was a big Cubs fan and you grew up in Eastern Iowa, Muscatine. Muscatine. Uh, I'm repping the muskies today with my hat. Oh, that's a cool hat. I like that. I was going to ask you what that hat was. You're a big hats guy. You've got, I feel like what, 50 hats? I got a lot of hats. I like hats. You know what's weird <laughs> is I pay a lot for to get a haircut and then I cover it with a hat. I just have always worn a hat. I don't know. I used to wear hats all the time until uh, I think I was a sophomore in high school. Some girl said, oh, you have nice hair. You shouldn't wear a hat all the time. <laughs> and that was enough for me to stop wearing hats. I still wear hats occasionally. Like if I go to a Cubs game, I'm rocking a hat. But I used to wear hats every day, all the time. That's just what I did. And then all it takes is one compliment to break you. But I was going to give your grandfather That's a shout so out. That's true. That's very true, though. Isn't it very true? Your yeah. grandfather was on the right side of the rivalry. So did you have classmates growing up who were Cardinals fans? Oh, my God, yeah. Like I was saying, it's about 50-50. Brothers were against brothers. Fathers were against sons. Ozzie Smith was on the Cardinals. They had won the pennant they'd won the world series the 80s were meant for the cardinals they had whitey herzog vince coleman jack clark pedro guerrero at points like that team was stacked with they were good and the cubs happened to be terrible uh ever since 84 was the team that kind of everybody talked about everybody talked about the 69 cubs and the 84 Cubs when I was little then in 89 I was obsessed with that team uh I would cut out articles from the newspaper I was uh, you know I was nine years old but I was putting them up on a bulletin board like that team I still have a plaque of the 89 Cubs like uh in my office like that I loved that team I followed that team I had nothing going on in my life other than Little League that summer so I was watching on WGN like I, so much of it is WGN. Like I got to be honest, the Cardinals, if they had been on TV, I don't know, but I know people who were bra- my grandparents on the other side were, my dad's parents were Braves fans because the Braves were on TV. Yeah, but then being uh, on TV sold it, had to sell it. You know, that's the big thing. So many uh, people from all different corners of this country are Cubs fans solely based on WGN. I'm hoping Major League Baseball gets smart and starts to expand it so they get rid of blackout restrictions and things like that. Because I lived in Los Angeles for a few years when we hung out all the time, and I loved having that MLB TV so I could watch Cubs games. And I'm really worried about the future of the sport. They're getting a lot of short-term dollars, but long-term growth could be in play um, because, again, like Cole Cabana on the last episode said, when I came home, the Cubs were on. You talked about the Cubs were on me growing up. The Cubs were on. It was easy to turn on the TV and there they were. And now things are getting a little more complicated with technology. And I know kids are growing up with it. So it's, that's just the world they know. So it might not be complicated to them. 
They might be like, yeah, you turn on the TV, you scroll to your app, you click on the app, you click on this. That's might be their reality. So I'm hoping that's the case because I would hate to see a future where we lose a fan base because um, it was always nice. I loved uh, my dad would take me to Cubs games, me and my sister. Those were our first vacations as a family. I remember we drove to Cincinnati to see the Cubs play the Reds like the last game of that series. And then the next morning got in the car and drove down to Atlanta to see the Cubs play the Braves. We followed there's the nothing for a couple weeks or a week. I, I love like you and I have something in common where you save a lot of your tickets and it's very important to you. What stadiums you've been to when I was a kid vacation meant going to St. Louis to see the Cubs play the Cardinals or like a baseball stadium road trip. That's what we did when I was a, when I was a kid. Like our family went to like Kansas City or Minneapolis or Milwaukee. It, like one of those and it was and we went to a lot of Cubs games uh as a kid or you know a few one, at least one or two games a season um driving in from Iowa and it was it was always a big deal to me and it was always like a treat. I couldn't believe those were the guys that were on WGN, like right in front of me. You know, it is pretty spectacular. I remember yelling to Ryan Sandberg and having him wave to us, and we went crazy. Me and my older sister. So let's talk about that. Tell me about. Tell us, the listeners, uh, since this is Lawrence Holmes Podcast Network. I used to love listening to Lawrence when I was like in high school because he would do solo shows on uh, WSCR six seventy to score here in Chicago, and he would say, "I want to talk to you." The Cubs fan um, when he wanted people to call in. So I want to tell, I want the listeners here to hear about your first time at Wrigley Field. 1985, the Cubs are playing the San Diego Padres. The previous season, the Padres had improbably come back from an 0-2 deficit in the NLCS and taken the next three games to, to beat the Cubs and go to the 84 World Series. Steve Garvey of course, was the star of that series. And I remember them booing Garvey mercilessly and being five years old and having my father try to explain this to me as a five-year-old. Because at five, you and I have talked about this, five is a great time for your first Cubs game. Like, I know that people bring babies, and I don't blame them. I feel like I would... I feel like that family probably cherishes that picture of the dad holding up the baby at Wrigley Field. Like, and, you know, you can be like, that's me as a baby. I mean, I'm sure that the family, like, loves that. Like, I'm a fifth-generation Cubs fan. Here's my dad holding me as a baby. Like, that's got to be a great thing. But at five, you can walk in there and you can remember everything it will make a huge impression on you you're coming through that time this is cliche to even talk about it. i sound like billy crystal or some other baby boomer but when you come through that tunnel and the grass the sun is hitting the grass or the lights are hitting the grass and it's impossibly green and vast and those are men playing baseball and you're like, oh, my God. Like, and you remember it for the rest of your life. I've never heard one person say, I was five. My dad took me to blank stadium, but I don't remember. You're dead on. They've, You're dead on. I've yeah. been a big preacher of the five-year-old thing. That's I went on my fifth birthday, September 21st, 1989. Uh, oh, come yeah. from the that year. And I yes. took my son uh, for his, you know, when he turned five. He turned five in February, so I had to wait for the season to start. 
and I have a son who's four and I was close to being like, maybe we could take him this year because I could get four tickets. I'm waiting until he turns five as well. I think there's something special about that. But again, who are we to say to the people who have that little baby photo that they love so much? But there is something special. Again, like, yeah, take go to the game. Bring your kids to the game. But going your first time at five is special, more special to me than um, I've gone my whole life. I don't remember not going. Do you remember anything specific about the ballpark? Like anything? Yeah, we we were sitting up high. I know Sandberg hit two home runs. So we were off to the races on loving the Sandberg. Um, and I got a Cubs hat. Mostly I remember there was a tornado on the way home driving back to Iowa. So we had to duck under tables. So the whole thing, the whole trip is kind of memorable for me in that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is a crazy first time in Wrigley. <laughs> Almost get murdered yeah. by a tornado on the way home. Uh, yeah. Yes, we're getting a couple bombs is pretty awesome. Uh, I remember Andre Dawson having a pretty good uh, game, the first game I went to. But I also remember that it was the game I discovered I was afraid of heights. Uh, since yeah. I don't, I'm not like terrified of heights now. Like I could be on a plane and look out the window and I could... I don't want to be up on a high balcony and look over. That's where I get yeah. a little of the jitters. But I discovered I was afraid of heights because back then, before the, the Hotel Zachary was built, which is what's across the street, there was the McDonald's. And yeah. I were going up to the upper deck and going up that ramp. And I look out the window and I saw we are higher than the McDonald's arches. I'm like, oh, my God, we're taller than the arches. And when you were a little kid, there was nothing higher than the McDonald's arches. That might as well be the Sears <laughs> Tower. So I just started freaking out and pulling my dad by the arm. I'm like, no, bring me back down. I don't want to go up any higher. I don't want to go up any higher. So when they just sat in the back of the 200s, the, the grandstands. Oh, I know, little Joe was afraid. Yeah, I had a tornado. You had McDonald's arches. <laughs> who, uh, who is Mike? Mike Bridenstine. You're on record now. Who okay. is your favorite Chicago Cub of all time? Mike Bridenstine uh, here. Uh, my favorite Cub of all time is Andre Dawson, final answer. Wonderful choice. Wonderful choice. Let's break it down. Was it uh, the blank check? Was it just that, that 87 season? Give us everything about Andre Dawson that made him the superstar he is in your eyes. In in eighty seven, it's the first eighty five. I go to a game, but like it's it's memorable experience. But I probably didn't even know the rules of baseball in eighty seven. I'm kind of grasping what's happening, and I know that he is hitting more home runs than anybody else in the league, and so that was exciting. I there was also like he had like various coming out parties with that right arm in in right field like throwing guys out at third i think there's a famous like mitch webster he threw him out at like on a ball like that went into the bullpen and i was that just is like on youtube oh. i was like oh my god like he had the best arm and right he was like he's hit 49 home runs that year so he like guys didn't hit 49 i know mcguire did that year too but like guys didn't hit that many home runs in the in the 80s so he was like a god plus he looked menacing at the plate like everything about him was everything i probably felt like i was not at seven and so when we went to like whatever walmart or whatever and they had a sports illustrated poster of him with the autograph on it i got that that was the first poster i ever had in my room and I base my autograph 
to this day, when I'm signing checks, I base my autograph on the Dawson autograph that was on that Sports Illustrated poster. I I did it over and over again until I got it right. Like the way that if his, if Andre Dawson's name was my name, that's how he would sign it. Well, you know, he's signing death certificates now as uh, a guy <laughs> who is, has a yeah. home. God bless him. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Oh, man. But you're right. There is something menacing. I like that you called Andre Dawson menacing because I think yeah. that's what it was, too. When I first started playing Little League, uh, you know, 1991 or something like that, 92, I think 92, I was in T-ball or something. But I like baseball, like from the age of you know four or five on. I would try to hold the bat like he did. You know, he had that yeah. kind of real uh, yeah. and he just looked like a force. He looked yeah. like a force. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Uh, you and I were talking about something a little interesting off air because it felt like guys of our generation. I mean, you're only a couple years older than me. We all of our friends, we were either Sandberg or Dawson. And then you'd have some of the younger kids come along and be like Mark Grace or Dunstan if you were a real wild card. Um, yeah. I don't remember people. Sutcliffe was popular too, of course, and Maddox then came along. But Dawson, to me, especially through my little kid eyes, I was like, oh, that's a professional athlete. That looks like a superhero. Where Sandberg, as great as he is, and he is great, of course. He's a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest second basemen of all time. Phenomenal player. I mean, phenomenal. He just looked like, like he could be your uncle that was just amazing at baseball. He didn't, you know, he wasn't ripped. You know, he wasn't like I mean, right. he's a two tall guy, of course, but and an amazing athlete. But he didn't not look like Andre. Andre Dawson, if you came to the plate with a cape on, you'd be like, this this makes sense. It wouldn't look out of place. Sandberg, yes, yeah, Sandberg was the player Major League Baseball wanted. You know, they wanted your mom wanted you to be Ryan Sandberg. They wanted your girl wanted you to be a Sandberg in the streets, but probably a Dawson in them sheets. So <laughs> I, feel, I feel like if you were like a meat and potatoes, American pie, USA, I like Superman is my favorite um, superhero type of person. You liked Sandberg. But if you maybe liked Batman more than Superman and maybe you like, uh, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage more than Hulk Hogan, maybe I feel like you are the type of person that liked Dawson like yeah, this guy's better. You know, like if you like John Cena, now this guy's a little bit all around better. He's he's has the fundamentals, but this guy can make a spectacular play. Yes, I'm gonna in in right. He can hit a ball onto Waveland. Like uh, he can chase you into the dugout 
after you try to bean him in the face. Uh, he looks like he's going to murder the pitcher and the ball. Uh, I think that that was your guy. I, I, I feel like as a kid, you feel like, man, if this kid, if this kid at school was mean to me and Andre Dawson was there, he would punch his fist through this kid's head. Like, that's how you felt. Like, he wanted him to protect you, and you wanted him on your side. Samber going to be there. He's going to be there. But Dawson is the one that's the closer. Yes, I agree. Yes, Sandberg is more like Superman because Sandberg is the better of the two baseball players. Sandberg is a better baseball player than Andre Dawson. That's just hard. You can't even really argue that. Both but all famers, both all-stars, Sandberg yeah. better all around. Yeah. Dawson just had the story. He had so much more allure. Is that the word I'm looking for? I believe. Sure. And yeah. uh, you're gonna yeah. you're drawn to him. Yeah. Yes, right. You're drawn to that guy. He also you feel like the knee injuries in Montreal in his career total, he had over 10 knee operations. And that's the thing, too. He had a little bit of that, still put out a Hall of Fame career. Of course, he's in the Hall of Fame and he deserves to be there. But you always, he still has a little bit of that wonder where you're like, man, imagine if he played his whole career on the soft outfield grass of Wrigley Field instead of Amazing. on that hard, hard turf up in um, Montreal that really tore up his knees. Because in his Montreal days, he didn't put any 40 home run seasons. I think his high in Montreal was 32 home runs. But he also stole 38 bases one year. Yeah. yeah. Was a gold glove center fielder. People forget fielder. four of his eight yeah. gold gloves, he was in center field. And yep. had a cannon there. People wouldn't run on him. He could no. go first to third on the base path with the best of them. He just was a true five-tool player. He hit around 300 at the time. He didn't walk ever. He was the first pitch fastball. If you're giving it to me, I'm swinging. Never really worked the count guy. But that was the 80s as a whole. In the 80s, having a 330 on base percentage wasn't like looked down upon the way it was. I mean, in his career, he was like 325. Um, they stole 60 bases, but they didn't always get on base. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, dude, for for you baseball fans listening, which obviously you are if you're listening to this podcast, of course. Sorry for saying such a stupid thing. Going through like statistics in the 80s could be super fun sometimes. It's almost like like the steroid era is hilarious because every now and then you'd be like, Richard Hidalgo? I could barely remember his name, but he had a 48 home run season. What was going on? Oh, we all know what was yeah. going on. It was yeah, late yeah. 90s, early 2000s baseball. But the 80s cracks me up because you'll see Eric Davis had like 27 56. home runs. And like he stole like 80 bases one year. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, it, Eric weird... Davis is Eric Davis is a guy who explodes on the scene, like also in 87. Yeah. His 87 season is better than Dawson's. Dawson led the league in RBIs and that or and RBI. Runs, yeah. And that used to be well, I'm just saying RBI used to be like, I don't know, this guy's MVP because he hit the or he had most RBIs. Like, who's the 87 MVP? In the American League, George Bell, why? RBIs, that's it. Yeah, but I think that's how they did it. Four, but to give George Bell credit, he also had 47 home runs. McGuire had 49 to lead the you league. You can't have I RBIs without being good. I get it. But, like, uh, you yeah. know, but that's, but I'm saying they're dumb. And that's basically what they did. Just yeah, whoever we've, leads in RBIs. We've evolved. It really was back in the day to win MVP. You had to put up some sexy numbers, batting average, home runs, RBI, the triple crown stats. We know triple better now stats, yeah. that like on base percentage, slugging, all that stuff. Because look, to keep this Cubs related, 
I was reading this one funny thing not that long ago. I got to share it with the listeners at some point. Maybe the next episode, I'll put a link in the notes. There was someone with this really funny thing, and they're talking about Derek Lee's 2005 season. Amazing. In 2005, Derek Lee had like, um, he had like almost 100 extra base hits. His uh, OPS was over a thousand. He um, hit forty something, forty five home runs or something high. He had like a ton of home runs. Hit three thirty five. But get this, he only had like hundred and four RBI. And when someone was saying like, "Well, I guess he wasn't very clutch," no, no, he was clutch. His clutch numbers yeah. are good. The problem was he had Nathy Perez and Corey Patterson hitting in front of him, who had a combined on base percentage of like two eighty five. He was he always he can't control that nobody was on base when he was getting his hits. And that's what I try to point out to people sometimes. Now, obviously, if you're driving in 137 runs, you're clearly doing something awesome. That's that's that is true. Yeah. But in the same yeah. regard, if you're only looking at RBI, because there there are players, Joe Carter had a season where he had like 120 RBI, but only hit 220 with runners in scoring position. It just so happens he was betting fourth on a team that had three guys in front of him with on base percentages near 400. So yeah, they were just living yeah. on base in front of him. He was hitting ground outs and getting RBIs. RBI. It's, I I know that it's like almost funny because like this conversation, I feel like it's been decided. And if you're still sticking with the other thing, like you're like a flat earther at this point. You know what I mean? Like you're <laughs> like if you're like, no, he's clutch. Like it, claiming clutch over a statistical system that worked so well that it ruined baseball to the point that they have to make rules to make people stop it. So either it works and it works so well that they're making rules to make people not do it or clutch is real. You can't have both shut up and get with the current picture of things. Yeah, totally. Um, So if, if we could talk more about Dawson and the respect he commanded, that was the thing too, that I loved about him. Nolan Ryan was famous for if you hit a home run off of him, you sprinted around those bases and he would (laughs) stare you down in hopes that you would make eye contact with him when you're rounding the bases. That's just how crazy Nolan Ryan was on the mound. Love Nolan Ryan, by the way. But that's what what he did. And and that was fun. I like that kind of character in the game. It makes sports fun. Dawson hit a home run off of him. Nolan Ryan just stood on the mound, didn't didn't like eyeball him as he was going around and they asked him about they go hey nolan you kind of you know dawson got one off of you and you didn't really and he goes i just have too much respect for that man he goes i know how hard that guy plays the game and i just have way too much respect for that man and right there it's like you know what they say game recognizes game and nolan ryan was like that's a real one right there that's that's what if his reason was what if his reason was dumber what if he was like i like how his middle name is the same as my first name that's true andre nolan dawson Wow, I did. see. Look at that. That's a fun little Andre Dawson tidbit. Um, Dawson had uh, a great career, of course. Were, do you remember when you found out he was uh, leaving the Cubs or when the Cubs were uh, going to sign him? You know, it was. Where's he go? The Red. He, he goes to Boston. Is that yeah, right? Boston or, Red Sox. It was too much of a bummer. And what year was that? Like ninety, late late nineties. After ninety two. So he was with the Red Sox for 93, 94, and then he was a Marlin for 95, 96. I think that I went through a middle school is hard on me period where everything I liked, because baseball fandom and baseball cards kind of went hand in hand. And when people stopped doing cards, like 
watching on WGN all summer, like it became harder, like the older I got, if that makes sense. Like I was playing more competitive baseball, so I couldn't watch all the time. So it's kind of like, oh man. But I think that by the nineties, like I was kind of in a phase where I, I would like other players and other teams. And I, and like, he was kind of getting older. And I think that like, I wasn't mature enough to follow a player throughout their career at that point. And I think that I was like, oh, well, like, um, I'll always like him as a cub. And then kind of shrugged it off and, you know, moved on to, like, Griffey or whoever was, like, the hot player. Nolan Ryan had a moment. I had Nolan Ryan posters in my room, you know, that sort of thing. Like, so he goes to Boston and it kind of just like bummed me out in a way that like I didn't want to think about it. But it is a weird thing as a kid that your favorite guy, it's almost like, man, without being too deep, it's almost like, man, like that's your first look at like people age, people retire. But my dad's favorite player was like Mike Schmidt and Schmidt retired like for the same team he played for his whole career, like in like in 89. And my dad is like 20 plus years older than me. So I'm like, he's just going to, these guys are just going to be Cubs my whole life. And when they're not, it is almost like you can't even think about it because it's like, what does that mean? You know, like you're a kid and you can't handle your favorite guy, like kind of turning his back and leaving town or something. Yeah. It was one of those situations. It was the lesson as Dawson was my first lesson as a young sports fan that, Hey, your favorite player is not always going to be on your favorite team. It's weird. And it's so weird. And he was the, but you know what it was? I then, cause I tell people, I'm like, look, I have, I have team loyalty. I'm a Cubs fan until yeah, I yeah, die. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But certain players, especially from this past Cubs world series team, I'm always going to follow them and root for of them. Course. And of I course. have evidence of Dawson being that for me, I have newspaper clippings of Dawson as a Red Sox and a Mar and a Marlin. Cause I would, That's every great. morning, Every morning, starting in 92, 91 or whatever, when I was young, I learned math and how to read by the sports section of the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Sun-Times. And right sure. away, I would look at the Cubs box score, and then I would go find the Red Sox. And I'd be like, ooh, That's Dawson amazing. went two for four, Dad. This is great. Dawson Because I remember Dawson, final season with the Cubs. Wasn't very good. He had 22 home runs. Uh, I think he had like 285. But, you know, the knees were starting to go wasn't the, the fielder he was. And I remember my dad going, oh, he's a free agent. They might bring him back. But I, my dad was even saying, oh, I think he should go to the American League. It might prolong his career a little bit longer. The age, he yeah. A few more games and, you know, take it easy on his knees. And uh, But the final game, he had to hit two home runs to end uh, his Cubs career with 400. When he left, he had 399 with the Cubs. He hit number 399 in the last game of the season. And I remember being like, okay, he needs one more bat, hopefully to get to 400. And I, so I remember watching it. I still have this vivid memory because we lived in an apartment at the time. And I remember I had like my glove in my hand because as soon as that at bat was over with, um, I was going to go around and play with my friends. My friends were like waiting for me because I still have friends. Great. I, I made my friends wait at the Cubs around. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I was like, that's kind of psychotic <laughs> little kid Cub fan. And I think he, uh, I think he had a single up the middle. I don't remember him like pop up, maybe he popped up, but I know he didn't hit it. I remember just being like so bummed. And then I think his first game with the Red Sox, he had a home run over the monster for number 400. I mean, that's a beautiful thing too, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I guess mean, in hindsight, I wish I, I regret not following him to Boston. It just felt like, it felt like a death in my young childhood 
like way i didn't understand it and i wish that i would have been like it's okay he's still he's still gonna be there you know but just on a different yeah because we feel connected to these players we really do um and mike bryant said dude thank you so much for being on the podcast i want to tell you how i met him oh my god yeah you have this great story this is cool I went to spring training in 2016. I had a feeling about that team. So I went to opening day with Joe Kilgallen, or right. he was there. Uh, I went, so I had a feeling about that team after 2015. So I'm, they're like, signing autographs soon will be Lee Smith. Um, and they started naming, I want to say like Rick Sutcliffe, like uh, naming these guys going to be there multiple, like later in the week. And so I turned to my wife and I said, let's, see if anybody's signing autographs i would have taken paul kilgis i would have taken jose viscaino i would have taken hector villanueva i don't care i turned the corner and i saw andre dawson signing autographs right there right in front of me and the line was only four people long I immediately, my my brain shut down and I became Ralphie from A Christmas Story when he sees Santa Claus. Like I couldn't talk and I just like looked at Victoria and I was just like, that's him. That's him. And she's like, who's him? And I was just like, there he is. He's right there. And then when we got up to the front, I was like, what would you like? They were like, what would you like? Uh, just a picture or do you want um, an autograph? And I pointed at the ball that I wanted him to autograph. And my and I look at my wife and I point at the ball again. And Victoria is like, he wants the ball. And I nodded. Like I everything my brain was broken in half. And I sat next to him and I shook his hand. And he's like, nice to meet you. And I didn't say anything. And Victoria goes, uh, he's he's very happy to meet you. And then um, we took the picture and I blew <laughs> right past Fergie Jenkins like he was a piece of trash. And I went back to my seat and just started giggling the whole way. She's like, what happened? What? What it, What just happened? And I'm like, <laughs> I was, I have it right behind me. The picture, my, I showed it to my mom, and my mom's like, oh, my God, I haven't seen you that happy since you were a little kid. Uh, so, yeah, I met my childhood hero. I was not expecting to, but, you know, sometimes if you show up in the right place at the right time and turn the right corner, they'll be right there, and they'll, they'll be probably uh, contractually obligated to sit there and be nice to you while you giggle and make like pointing grunts so you're and while your wife speaks for you oh my god dude <laughs> dude you were you were starstruck you were starstruck man i was starstruck that's, yeah that's what that is that's the hawk that's andre dawson um yeah. i'm just laughing because i i know your wife very well and i'm sure she was thinking i cannot believe i married this dork <laughs> she probably thinks oh, that a man. lot yeah by the way, how much fun is Cubs spring training? I've, I oh went my God. Uh, past year for the first time. And it was amazing. It's a, it's, it's fantastic. I would go every year uh, if I had the time and yeah, and I might, we're going to go I next March. Make the time. Yeah. We'll put, we'll put on, a, on a show together. We'll do. I, 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 worked, I worked at comedy club there last uh, March and it was fantastic. 
So uh, tell everyone where they can find your comedy. Uh, Mike Bryant is an awesome comedian, everyone. He's got a really fun podcast as well. So uh, let them know where they can find you, Brido. Um, I have a podcast called Hunk with Mike Bryant. It's a panel of comedians doing the news. So people like Joe and myself and usually like three other people will be it's on the there arguing about comedy. Songs. The biggest names in comedy are on this podcast. Yeah, uh, I try. To, I aim for this for the stars, and I get the people I think are the funniest. If you are a fan of comedy and a fan of Chicago comedy, I have a book coming out September twenty fifth called "The Perfect Amount of Wrong," which I interviewed people like Joe, and um, it's basically um, how did a scene that had no local like no local club but nurturing a local scene it had no press no um myspace no social media how did that scene produce kyle kanane hannibal burris cameron esposito kumail nanjiani matt bronger tj miller beth selling pete holmes the nate bergazzi the list of names goes on and on and so during COVID, i wrote a book about that history and it is I'll hold it up so people can see it if they're watching this. And it comes out September 25th, and I'll be in Chicago at the Lincoln Lodge to promote it that week. There you go, everybody. Mike Bryanstein, amazing comedian, now author, but most importantly, diehard Chicago Cubs fan. Thank you for being on My Favorite Cub as part of the House of L podcast network. You're the best, and I like to end every podcast by saying my two favorite words, go Cubs. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.